0: Hey, everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to Rob Observations. What is a Rob Observation? A Rob Observation is a discussion of comic books and all things comic books as related to movies and television and games and toys, pop culture at large. That is what we do here at Rob Observations. I am Rob Liefeld. I have made a ton of comic books. You might have heard of some of them Deadpool, Cable, X Force, New Mutants. Captain America, Avengers, Youngblood, Supreme, Brigade, Bloodstrike, Deathstroke, Hawkman, Hawk and Dove. Currently, I am uh, super excited to be bringing you the adventures of Snake Eyes in uh, the the G.I. Joe universe, Snake Eyes Dead game. uh, Issues one and two are out. Please seek them out. Check them out. Check out the series. So excited to be working with everybody. Um, Hasbro and... IDW, and the reason I'm telling you this is because it speaks to my past. I am not a G.I. Joe fan unless I encounter G.I. Joe toys on the shelves and the G.I. Joe comic book ads because there weren't comic books in the 70s. There was dedicated comic book ads made by John Romita Sr., contracted out by Hasbro at the time, who who then would would provide these cool one-pagers when G.I. Joe was an adventure hero. And because of my obsession with that, I was eager to get around to eventually doing some G.I. Joe comic book adventures. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, almost 40 years late in doing so because they eventually did get their own comic book series. It blew up. It was top, top shelf uh, sales and entertainment from Marvel Comics for much of the 90s, uh, I'm 80s, 80s and 90s, launched in 83, 84, and uh, just maybe 82. Uh, I, I just, for me, GI Joe happened in the 70s. Uh, loved that adventure team squad, and there was uh, all sorts of. There was an Atomic Man. There was Bullet Man. You're like, what are you talking about? That's not Duke and 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 Scarlet. No, these were these were prior to them. But again, uh, currently doing GI Joe because of my love affair with GI Joe that I had as a young kid and 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 am happy to now in my whatever decade this is, 34 years uh, uh of me doing comics, whatever decade of, of me working in comics, uh is what I meant to say. And and that brings me to kind of where we're at today, which is we we talk about comic books because I love comic books. I assume you love comic books. Comic books are the the Primary form of entertainment that I prefer to interact with these characters on. It's why we spend so much time discussing them because that's what I do as a craft, and I only do it as a craft because I was obsessed with it as a fan. And as a fan, you know, my, my engagement with these characters gave me so much joy, uh, so much escape, so much fun. Um, they, they just captured my imagination in a way that nothing else uh could even hope to i mean even even the star wars movie as much as i love the star wars movie in 1977 it was through the monthly marvel comic books that i became completely uh engaged with them a few of the novelizations that were put out but i love that marvel expanded the world um took luke to a a, an entire water world where he met up with with pirates and uh and you know there there was a uh there was a gambling a giant internet intergalactic uh uh, casino that that people from all walks of life were were interacting with in the Star Wars comics, and it was called the Wheel. Um, eventually, they made like a giant floating Death Star cannon um, called the Tarkin, in in in, in res- as respect to Grand Moff Tarkin from the original series. These comic book adventures, month in month out, engaged me and became my primary source of entertainment for pretty much anything and for guys who 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 like most of us uh from the whether it's the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s only really the 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 kids of the 2000s really started to see the big budget movie representations of these characters come to life uh x-men to x-men in 2000 was the biggest biggest there's the biggest version of this it was the big gamble It was the movie that had the town talking because after the Joel, uh, 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 now now I'm not going to remember his name, the After Batman and Robin by Joel Schumacher. Uh, Comic book movies stopped happening at Hollywood. They, they, They always, because I was doing so many meetings and deals and had so many of my own comic book characters in development at different studios, you always came up against this. Well, you know, we, we've got to look at what Batman's doing or what Batman did wrong. And I'm like, there's such a big world of comic books outside of Batman, but the studios hadn't gone there yet. They hadn't made them yet. So they they based all of their uh data and their evaluations on how the only comic book movie that was move, mo- working for them in the last decade, which was Batman, which of course Batman and Robin were talking now the fourth sequel. They did get increasingly cheesy and... And campy, and started reflecting more. In my opinion, the Adam West television series that was while while it was entertaining to me, I was ready to move beyond that. And so so having the uh, having 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 the Joel Schumacher movies be as representative as they were of kind of that campy attitude, I I thought probably helped set comic books back even even further than than going forward because again. When you would sit down and you would pitch your vision of, like, say, the, all the different people and so many different producers, I was very flattered, wanted to make a Youngblood movie. But one of them just said, we want to make a Youngblood movie because you are, you're an X-Men guy and you're you, you are a big deal at Marvel. So we figured this Youngblood thing has got to have some interest and some appeal. And and that literally was the only um, connection they had. They hadn't even read the Youngblood comics. They just read that I was a big time Marvel guy that broke off. And, and 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 the one guy had had some dealings with Marvel and felt like if I had done some big stuff with X Men and I was doing some big stuff on my own, well maybe they should be in that business. But when I would pitch Youngblood as a Jim Cameron esque film, invoking Alien Two and uh, or you know Aliens and T Two and Terminator, that they would just they just gloss over. Like what do you mean? Like kind of a more of a real world representation of superheroes and. All this high tech weaponry. Well, what about these Batman films? Those Batman films, as successful as they were, they did really proceed to hold so much of the comic book world hostage for for a very very long time. And and uh, and re- again, before I get into kind of walking you through the nineties, we'll get to some of that today and and move the ball forward. But it, it really has been on my mind about what happened. Uh, where, where we've been where we're going definitely where we're going because we all know where we've been but when you examine where we've been in terms of comic book adaptations did they expand the market did they bring more people into the comic book marketplace uh i think that that is unknown i actually uh that that's kind of what i want to talk about today because we don't have comic book uh movies right now and it was it really stood out to me in an, in an announcement the other day that they said you know marvel will have two years without having a Marvel movie in theaters. A Marvel movie in theaters. And you guys, I'm telling you right now, that is going to have some effect. I don't know if it's Fallout, which means Fallout involves a negative uh, connotation, of course. I think we can agree. Uh, Or if it's going to be like a great giant boon benefit that they haven't been around and people are just going to be lathering uh, to to get back to 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 seeing these Marvel films, Marvel grabbed the mic, they set the stage, and they knew it. They knew it. They did everything in their power to drive the other competitors to um to to defeat. And and you guys, I'm not telling you this out of my own volition or my, my own my own assumptions. I was told this by by all of the different Marvel and Disney executives that I have known for two decades plus and the things that they said to me in the last five years. Uh, Marvel, especially once it was driven by Disney, became, uh, and Disney, uh, once they saw the power of these films, decided to invest as big as they can to make them as big as they could. And uh, I remember the hushes around the table of the different industry executives I was with when the budgets were confirmed our friend who worked at Disney absolutely confirmed for us that the uh, that the budget of the um, two uh, uh, Infinity War and Endgame was over 400 million combined. So you're looking at 200 million per picture. I think they actually went up from then, but this is they hadn't started filming them that they, they were about to roll film uh, and get everybody going within four to five weeks. Uh, from from when we're all having this discussion, and if I can, I can paint for you a picture of a table with an Apple executive, an executive from Legendary Pictures who had uh, made some of your biggest Warner Brothers movies of the last you know twenty years. Whether it's The Hangover, whether it's all the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight films, whether it was the Superman movies, um, uh, the Legendary Pictures uh, Inception, um, Legendary Pictures Godzilla. <laughs> I'm just I keep to adding like they made a lot of big big movies for Warner Brothers. They would co-finance all those films taking the financial pressure off the studio, easing it with their own investment knowing that if these hit big we get a big chunk we get you know a sizable portion of those proceeds based on our easing of the budgetary um, responsibilities from the parent studio. And this was really something that was going around. Towards the end of the 2000s was all of these studios that were st- uh, finding partners like Legendary, like Rat Pack, uh, which is Brett Ratner pacted with a Australian billionaire. They made Rat Pack Entertainment. Uh, I think it was na- I think his name was James Packer, which is why you get Brett Ratner and James Packer, and you come up with Rat Pack. And they stepped in for Legendary and started financing an entire you know film slate. Uh, Wonder Woman is co-financed by rat pack okay so so they just stepped it literally into the breach after legendary left to go to universal and they just continued they they, they picked right up where legendary left off and would co finance you know basically on the same uh deal terms which is where the studio goes oh man we can have half of this 200 million dollar budget carried by another uh Investor, which then frees Warner Brothers to take their other hundred million dollars and invest it in another movie. It really does help out the studio when they the the the, the financial burden is eased, and it uh, it hurts them when something hits a billion dollars and they're like, man, if we had just put that extra hundred million in, we'd be getting that other five hundred million that we're now splitting with the 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 the, um, the the production entity that came in and provided the co-financing. So. You know, um, back in the the like I said around around 2008, um, when when so much of this co financing is happening because because uh, these movies aren't sure things, the comic book films aren't sure things. You know, you've got Disney that that doesn't really understand yet. I think when Disney bought Star Wars, they thought it was definitely the more profitable piece, not not Marvel. They both bought them for roughly four billion each. Now consider they bought Fox for 70 billion. 70 billion. Star Wars for 4 billion, Marvel for 4 billion, Fox a few years later for 70 billion. I mean, uh, we don't talk much, uh, enough about Rupert Murdoch and his ability to drive that price up and and the deal that he got, which is just ridiculous, uh, amazing, phenomenal. But our uh our friend was telling us about the budgets on these in-game Infinity Wars and how how Disney was going all in to make it the biggest, most expansive, to, to, to bring in all that, the, the, the cast, the special effects, the scope, the scale that it was going to require. And that they figured that they would at least make, you know, a billion on each picture so those investments would be easily covered. And now Disney is writing these checks, no co-financing, not like Warner Brothers, no no Rat Pack, no Legendary. They're going at themselves, writing these big checks, knowing that you are going to stand there frothing at the mouth to get inside to be the first first adopters get those first screenings be able to get on social media debate what you saw go make your youtube videos get on your podcasts um and share all the information marvel had found this fever i call it a fever from this point on in in the podcast and forever more because that's how i talk about it in my house it's the fever the marvel fever it's what i talk about with my kids my kids going back to the reason I'm sourcing 2008, my my, my sons were eight and six. I took them to see Iron Man, the first show on the Thursday evening screenings, and they were blown away. They had already loved Transformers a year before, and I really felt like there was that period where you got a Transformers movie, then an Iron Man movie, then the next summer, a Transformers movie, then the next summer, an Iron Man movie. And what you were getting is these high-tech, the special effects had really gone to the place where the high-tech stuff looked amazing. I mean... The Transformers, Optimus Prime, when he's shiny and new, looks like something that stepped out of the Apple Store. And and similarly, a year later, the armor that Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark is rocking looks like it's out of you know some Steve Jobs paradise, technical technological paradise. It looks like Apple uh, Apple Tech. In 2009, when we would go on board J.J. Abrams' USS Enterprise with Chris Pine and the new cast, it looked like it was made. In the Apple Store, the extra gleams, the blue lights, the smooth tech—everything um, suddenly was co-opted. Had co-opted a, a, a an Apple uh, Apple technology. I mean, we do not give Apple enough credit in how much they changed everything. Not not that we just hold in our hands and interact with, but what we see on screen. Iron Man's armor, Apple Store, Apple Apple Store looking Transformers, Apple Store, the the USS Enterprise, Apple Store. Okay, um, it, it's this. Again, like I said, the blue lighting, the slick, smooth surfaces, the, the emphasis on white and smooth tech and stuff that almost looks like smooth plastic. Again, everything that you see when you go into an Apple store. And my kids responded to Iron Man in the same way they responded to the Transformers because it's these mech creatures. And then, you know, you're now going back to my youth uh giant robot ultraman the stuff that i would race home to see after school on uh on the uhf channel which i had to fidget with my antennas yes kid we used to put antennas on top of our TVs and you would sometimes separate those antennas as far as they could to get the best picture or sometimes one up and then one kind of at a 30 degree angle, a 40 degree angle, whatever. Sometimes straight up, both of them is what was going to get you a signal, man. You had to work to get that signal that would give you the clearest picture possible. Yes, it's fun that I have these memories that we grew up. I'm enjoying the 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 television and the entertainment the way we did. It's it's nothing like, and I do not. It is never lost on me when I click on as I did last night. Uh, JJ's Star Trek, uh, 2009 first movie, epic movie, best movie. I love that movie, and and the crisp 4K picture that I am seeing and I go I can't even believe this and it's coming through that cord you know it I mean I mean or or I'm getting it off my super duper wi-fi that my provider gives me and the high high speeds that I can get that crispy crispy 4k image so but I will never forget the, the positioning of the antennas, and I am looking at Japanese mecha, okay? And the, and like I said, giant robot and, and, and Ultraman, and that would then, you know, the cartoon Gigantor, and then Battle of the Planets, all of the different giant robot uh, mechanisms, and now here we are in Hollywood, uh, seeing them brought to life, with the amazing uh, ILM special effects teams that that kind of perfected all these looks. And they, again, look like high-tech robot Apple products. And everyone sparked to them. And also they sparked to, of course, Robert Downey Jr.'s tour de force, once-in-a-lifetime portrayal of Tony Stark. The Tony Stark that I grew up with was not a wisecracker. He wasn't funny. But that aspect is why my mom, who my kids affectionately known as Grandma Patty, was going to see the Iron Man movies. She was, I remember one weekend going, what are you going to see, Mom? And, you know, 2010, I'm going to see Iron Man 2. What? And then I realized, oh, it's got Gwyneth Paltrow and it's got Robert Downey Jr. And Robert Downey Jr. is lovable. People love him. He's cute. He's handsome. He's He makes everyone laugh he wears a mechanized suit and Gwyneth Paltrow who everyone loves is his love interest. So of course my mom is going to see Iron Man 2 on a Friday night when there's no other movies she loves movies. So that's the movie that is going to she's going to see it's the only one out that weekend and of course that you know for her it's Downey Jr. It's it's Gwyneth Paltrow. They're 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 good-looking movie stars and they're funny. And they and 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 again, Robert Downey Jr. You cannot underscore the warm cuddlies that he gave off, and that women love him equally, maybe more so than men. So co- combine the state of the art depiction of the armor and all of the great comic book tropes that were come to life in 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 um you know in the flesh, and those Marvel movies took off. But then you got Captain America and Thor, and they were a little. Um, Captain America: First Avenger is actually like one of the best movies. It, it the fact that it's in World War II plays to its budgetary restraints. Um, but um, Thor, Thor, the first Thor, I thought is it's a little dodgy. You know, you, you look back, it's 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 kind of fun, but but it's definitely he- held back held back by the budgetary restrictions that all the marvel movies I don't know what you guys think but this is how me and my friends would view it the marvel movies would always seemingly kind of run out of movie run out of money by the third act they'd spend all this money making these great first two acts and then it felt like the checks uh, were barely going to clear at the end of iron man iron man 2 thor and and even even Captain America and Red Skull don't have a great hand to hand remember that they're across the bridge from each other in first avenger they're finally meeting and then the bridge separates and one goes to the left and one goes to the right they separate and they can't like lay their hands on each other and it's uh it's 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 always these budget the age of kind of up oh, we can't go we've already gone as big as we can go in the second act and now it's all downhill from here. We got to wrap it up, wrap up the movie. We got we we captured as much as we could in the first seventy minutes, and uh, the last twenty minutes we're just gonna play out the string or film it really really dark so that the special effects uh, are are aren't as uh, refined, and we can cover so much of it in 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 light and shadow, like like with Jeff Bridges and the Ironmonger and the original Iron Man. I'm like I can't even see what's going on here okay? But man, when he builds that armor in the, in, in the desert and escapes, and the first time the Iron Man armor is put, put to test, it's is fantastic. But then we entered the age of the Avengers, the Disney money, Iron Man 3, and everything that came after. And the third acts were well-financed. They were bigger than ever. And we got this new age of comic book movie, which we're in right now. And then when Marvel saw that they could start making billions, plural, they started pouring all that money knowing that they had all the charisma, all the goodwill, everything that Downey Jr and Chris Evans and the great casting had built up cuz casting is everything. When I say Robert Downey Jr, I mean that is a product of casting and and we all forget that Robert Downey Jr was coming off of a very, very difficult period. I don't want to dwell on it. I want to focus on the good things um and, and all the triumphs in his life, but it was a if you go back and you look at what a risk it was that Marvel uh uh took on him and 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 the insurance risks because, again, Downey Jr. had a very tumultuous kind of decade leading up to that, the the 98 to 2008 period. I mean, at one point, Robert Jr., Downey Jr., in, in case you don't know, it is on TV in the third or fourth season of Ally McBeal. We never missed it. It was a great kind of vehicle for him to get his footing back, but he wasn't out of the woods yet. But whoever said we're going all in, we're going all in. Nope. Damn the torpedoes. Damn the risks. We're going in on Downey Jr. They deserve, you know, if it's Kevin Feige, if if he made that call alone, if it was his casting person who stressed to him, this is, this has got to be it. This is the best call, whatever it was. Um, because that's pre Disney. Kevin Feige had that, that, that $500 million financing that they raised to make their Marvel movies from the investors prior to, um, to to getting the distribution deal from Paramount and prior to being carried by Disney. You know, they deserve all the success. They went with Downey Jr. To me, Downey Jr. transformed everything. And now we live in a post-Downey Jr. world. Also, in the headlines in the last few weeks, you've read, he's not coming back. He doubled down. I will not come back. I, like many of you, thought, eh, give him a couple of years. He'll 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 be back. He'll he'll decide he misses it. He'll he'll want to step back into it. That certainly may still be possible, but you know. Uh, uh, two years out from Endgame, he re-emphasized that, uh, that, that you, you know, almost two years out, he re-emphasized that I'm not coming back, which is is very interesting. It, it, it definitely feels like he wants to put some distance between him and his portrayal as Iron Man because these characters, I've seen it again. I'm going to get more into my kids now. I've seen it through my own kids. My son, again, eight and six, when I took them to see Iron Man, they loved it. It set them on their course. My older son would turn to me when we're driving to go see Civil War, his 16th birthday party was all his friends going to Civil War with him at the IMAX. You know, we're a loving mom and dad and I'm a comic book guy myself, happy to finance 10 kids going to see Civil War in IMAX at the Friday night show, whatever. And him and his buddies were all decked out in Marvel gear. And I'm just, you know, again, when I was a kid, I played football. I played seasons of football at my at my, at my um, high school. But, um... I, I, I loved my uh, jock friends, but some of them were the stereotypes that we see in the Karate Kid or in Can't Buy Me Love or whatever teen movies had the um, kind of asshole athletes. They would look down at the nerds and I was always keeping my comic book uh, penchant hidden away in my peachy folders or my notebooks. Um, I would draw and I would sketch, but I rarely showed up with a comic book because they were immediately uh, uh, evaluated, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, as a childhood thing. Oh, what are you doing with that childish object? Comic books didn't have the respect as literature that they would later gain in our society, and and they certainly didn't have the stance that they had in the late 70s, early 80s, mid-80s, as they did in japan where they were more part of like oh yeah i read comic books the same as i read television and you know in japan you can get giant phone phone book sized manga that's manga uh with multiple serialized stories out of a uh like like a a, a candy machine like a, a dispenser you put your your coins in and the book drops and you pick it up it's it's that you you get them out of vending machines. In in And in, in they, they would ride them on the subway. Maybe they still do. And they dispose of them in the trash when they're done. They're, they're not marketed as collectibles. They are something that you consume. You read. You go on those adventures, those soap opera adventures. Comic books are kind of have a soap opera penchant. We've always discussed this. But in I would hide those from my quote-unquote jock friends. Now my son and his entire varsity basketball team, the, 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 the guys that he's playing with, they're all going to see Civil Wars, and as I'm driving him, again, so, so like, I've seen the Marvel culture take even the most ardent, kind of, you know, jaded, uh, you know, quote-unquote jock. Now, I'm going to segue real quick. I'll get back to my son's Civil War here, but I have a family friend, an adult family friend, and uh, we were at his house uh, not too long ago, and he wanted to, he said, Rob, I, w- I want to show you. They have this enormous, beautiful, uh, expansive, uh, a house beautifully refined. I mean, just just a gorgeous piece of property, uh, a gorgeous home. And and he takes us in from the, the, the barbecue and says, hey, I want to show you this. And he pulls out the drawer near his television and he holds up the um, DVD of Deadpool number one. And he says, I love this movie, man. And I don't like comic books. I don't like comic book superheroes. But man, do I love Deadpool. I just love this. I just wanted you to know. I said, thanks, man. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoy it all. That, that That's so great. But he later said... He didn't see Star Wars. You know, he's my age. So when he was nine and 10 and 11, he didn't, he goes, Yeah, I wasn't into that stuff, man. I'm still not. I'm not into that, that stuff. Let's examine what that stuff means. That nerdy stuff. That nerdy stuff. That's what, what's being said. And when I don't like superheroes, but I like Deadpool, he likes Deadpool probably because of the raunch, the sex scenes, the foulness, the violence, all the stuff that makes Deadpool so great, right? I mean, the, 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 uh, uh, a healing factor depicted in the R rated fashion it deserves, you know, shooting people in the heads. I've always told people, you know, if Deadpool is shooting you with a gun and he's slicing your head off with a sword and you're bleeding that, and he's cracking wise while doing it, he's being an asshole, then that's my Deadpool. So I'm excited that Deadpool is enjoyed on that level. But when he says that stuff, you know, I'm not into that stuff. Sci-fi stuff, comic book stuff. The Marvel movies made everybody into that stuff. And my son on the drive for his birthday to take everybody to Civil War IMAX, you know, we're driving there about, you know, this is before reserve seating, so so we're getting there a couple hours early to make sure that everybody's got their place in line. He says, "You know, Dad, I, I, I'm not a comic book fan. I'm a comic book movie fan. Comic book movie fan. You know that that that's what I have encountered with my kids. It's it's exciting. I get caught up in it. The trailers, the 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 product, the end the, the end result. Because seeing these characters come to life is exciting. It's amazing." And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see through, through, through my kids as a conduit, a reflection of the society that is taking this stuff all the way to the bank. And it rewarded mostly Marvel because they had the, um, the, 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 they, they had pole position. They were the lead car. They were the pace car. They were out gunning everybody. DC Marvel's movies drove DC into uh, a ditch. Because DC and Warner Brothers kept saying, why aren't we getting these returns? The guys who push the buttons that greenlight the movies that that release the budgets that are so uncertain about it, they needed you know, co-financing. They looked at those receipts on, on the Marvel films and they go, why aren't we getting to that billion dollar punch through? Um, when Avengers and Civil War and Avengers 2 are both bringing in billions worldwide and their best efforts are now stopping at the 800 million mark. You're like, Rob, what are you talking about? No, this is true. When an Avengers movie makes 1.2 billion and their movie that they feel was superior is stopping at, at 800 million. They go, where's that 400 million? How do we make that up? Why did they get that extra 400 million? And we didn't. And it, it creates boardroom drama. It creates, um, people yelling at each other. It, it gets people fired. Um, We've seen this play out somewhat with Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was subject to a lot of second guessing because Batman Man of Steel didn't hit that giant um multi-billion dollar threshold, and so then they flipped out because how is it that Justice League, our version of the Avengers bringing all these characters isn't, you know, forecast for at least 2 billion? You got to understand. So, the Nolan movie Dark Knight with Heath Ledger in his, you know, as we know, celebrated last appearance, a, a, a P, I think that last appearance, Joker and Heath, um, Heath's passing contributed to the outsized, um, uh earnings that Dark Knight had. I think Dark Knight was always destined to be a giant mega blockbuster, but th- there has to be, again, I go to my mom, who had never seen a Batman film, but informed me she was going to see Dark Knight. And I want I really was like, what you're more than Iron Man 2. I'm like, what you're going to see Dark Knight? Which of course is prior to Iron Man 2. But Iron Man 2, I could understand more, but but well, you know, because because that that boy died. That that boy passed away. My mom, who was in her 70s, told me at the time. And that's when I'm like, okay, you know, this is this is one of those things that's covering all the bases. It's a curiosity factor. That handsome Heath Ledger. This is his last appearance. It's taking the world by storm. Everyone's got to be in on it. I love Dark Knight. I was sitting next to my good friend Murat. When I saw it, he knows my my legs were clicking, my feet were tapping, my arm was gripping the side rest so tightly. I loved it. I thought it really did combine like a a Francis Ford Coppola godfather um, and and, and Martin Scorsese gangster film aspect with this big superhero scope that I just loved so much. Um, I always loved that Nolan had really put his uh uh influence into the gangs and 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 the and the mob uh element in Gotham from from the Batman begins uh uh aspect all the way through to the end the, always just this undercurrent of crime and the crime lords and and when joker you know walks in and, and is negotiating with all of them in that kitchen that is just that's that's not only just a tour de force moment it's just a a killer character uh, bit with him you know shaking down the mob basically warning them all that he's on the beat now uh, just amazing but when my mom is going to see it when 70 year old patty Liefeld, grandma patty is going then you know you've you know you've made an outsized connection um when in 2012 Warner Brothers assumed that that the third piece with Bane and and with Catwoman would go even bigger and 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 because Iron Man in 2008 Made three hundred million domestic. Three hundred million domestic. A, um, a comic book character that had never known or had the number one slot in comics. I believe to date, this may change with the latest Iron Man, but to date, Iron Man has number one been the number one comic on the charts. While all of the Downey Jr. Iron Man movies have been number one at the box office, a more important chart to the movie business, of course. So, so they would uh, these Iron Man movies. Iron Man number one out the gate. When, when when Marvel was raising the money to make Iron Man and Captain America, the Wall Street Journal recommended a sell on your Marvel stock. They said, Marvel has already seen as good a days as it's going to see. Sony has Spider-Man. Fox has the Fantastic Four and X-Men books, uh, titles. Marvel is out raising a, fin- a financial slate for these C-list characters. And they said, you know, which is Cap and Iron Man and Thor and which is, funny because now we're back into heroes reborn territory it's like this is what's left this is what we have to work with we got to make this work and uh obviously marvel feige everybody knocked it out of the park with iron man 2008 doing so phenomenally ridiculously well i mean it, it was such a hit but my buddies at warner brothers at the time were like yeah it's not going to touch dark Knight. we got the goods and dark Knight did indeed you know end up being the biggest ruling the summer ruling the year But when it came down to Avengers versus, you know, uh, Dark Knight Rises, Avengers, you know, out, just outclassed them and suddenly, whatever the reason, and I know there are people that are going to say the shooter who shot up the theater, and that's definitely a factor. My son, when I took him to see Dark Dark Knight Rises that weekend, if you don't think it affected me at our home theater that we go to all the time, said, dad, dad, do do you think a shooter is going to come in? And I said, here's all the exits. Here's what we do. If there's any trouble, I had to reassure him um, that that I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed Nolan's Dark Knight Rises. I loved Bane. I loved Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. But they can uh, absolutely hypothesize that its box office prospects were damaged by the shooter who shot up the theater um, the the night before the opening. Um, But I believe that it would not have made a difference. Avengers had ushered in a new age of Marvel film. And if you don't think those Marvel people were flabbergasted and like, look what we did. Look what Avengers did. I'm going to always go to my own personal experiences and the opening weekend of Avengers. I've already seen the movie the opening night. Okay. But on a Saturday morning at my very favorite coffee bean, uh, I am standing in line to order my, you know, vanilla latte frappuccino, whatever I'm getting And uh, there are two senior citizens, much older than my mom, older 70s, maybe early 80s, cute little, I mean, like a mom, pa, Kent. And the lady goes, are we going to make it on time? And the guy goes, yeah, it doesn't start for another 40 minutes. We'll be fine. I just can't wait to see Captain America and Thor together. And I went, wait, what? I mean, screech in my mind. I mean, breaks, hard breaks. I, I literally was like, th- th- these old people are going to see the Avengers. Marvel had caught fire. Marvel had caught fire 2012, okay? And uh, and it, it just took off, and they never look back. Iron Man 3, uh, you know, how do you explain Iron Man 3 making over a billion dollars, okay? It caught that Avengers heat much the same way, in my opinion, Captain Marvel being sandwiched in between Endgame and uh, Infinity War caught that that heat that must I can't miss it. It has an echo of something. Iron Man Three kind of had the fallout of the Avengers, you know, the guilt over the Battle of New York that Tony Stark was feeling. Whatever. I love Iron Man Three. It, it's it's offbeat. I dig it. I really 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 dig it. Um. So I'm not I'm not a critic of that movie. That don't don't come. I I thought the 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 twist reveal with the Mandarin was perfect. I just I loved all of it. I know that there was way more Tony Stark. Than there was Iron Man, but I just I really do enjoy Iron Man three. But I did I see it making a billion, uh, which is far above uh, by several hundred million of Iron Man two. I, I did not see that occurring, and then there was really no looking back. All the movies started making more than they previously did because the Marvel brand name had become this um, name of excitement, and and they had it going on. And, 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 and I don't really mean to do this rundown of the movie, but we really have to examine. And I talked to you about a fever, and I think what really, really helped change the game, I know it helped Deadpool, and, and that's this is an, the only other time I'll really invoke Deadpool because it, it Deadpool is just an aftershock of Guardians of the Galaxy. Summer of 2014, suddenly you have the most D of D-list uh, characters. And again, I work with agents and managers and attorneys, in my business who do my contracts and deals and, and and I have for 20 years and they go, man, I, I didn't know who Iron Man was, but, but I had, I didn't, I didn't, I never heard of the guardians of the galaxy. And this is after guardians opens as big as it does makes it's $300 million. They're like, okay, Chris Pratt wasn't a movie star prior to this. There's a talking tree and there's a talking raccoon and um, you know, Zoe Zaldana, beautiful, amazing, in, in everything she's in, obviously Avatar and Star Trek prior to this, but now all in green, head to toe uh, as Gamora blowing up. Uh, Dave Bautista in this blockbuster portrayal, uh, James Gunn flexing every ounce of his uh, skill as a filmmaker, connects and blows up, and then suddenly Marvel can do no wrong. Not not even I mean no nothing relating, nothing even close to doing something wrong. They're just like burning as bright as they've ever burned this is where moviegoers are going it's it's a guaranteed and and so now when the lights come up from Guardians of the Galaxy my daughter who in uh, in 2014 is 11 uh turns to me and says as the lights are up the credits are playing the after credit everything's over the the house lights come on the packed theater um, I've already seen the movie again on opening night, saw it with Marat, but now I'm seeing it with my family on a Saturday afternoon and my daughter looks up to me and with the biggest grin goes, I am Groot. I am Groot. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. These Marvel films, it's got my daughter now too. It's got her too. My two boys and my daughter. Dad, I'm not a, a comic book fan. I'm a comic book movie fan. It's going to always ring through my head because it's an educational process. That is a teenager telling me dad I love these movies I I I know you're in comics and you love the comics but really I can just skate on these movies and so many did and so many have and where are we now we are two years from the next Marvel movie coming two years between not not two years until it comes but two years between in Endgame or the last Spider-Man which was a co-finance obviously with Sony and Black Widow or whenever it'll hit and that that's that's if our lives get up and 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 take on the roles that they used to. You guys, obviously, I am doing this podcast in a pandemic. I only started doing this podcast because of a pandemic. I was lonely. I needed people to talk to. You have been my awesome audience. But I don't believe that the fever will be restarted again in that way, in that capacity. I think 20 years ago in the 2000s, driving with my wife uh, down your Belinda Boulevard, uh, heading towards Fullerton. I said, man, I just wish that there would be like, like, like I could just call up every episode of everything I ever liked and watch it. And she would just laugh and go, oh, you're, you're, you're ridiculous. I'm like, no, no, no someday it's going to happen that way. We're going to be able to watch whatever we want, whenever we want. And it's all going to be available to us. And, uh, to, to think that that happened, that there were people working to make that a reality back then, which is why we have it now and streaming and getting things on these amazing that plasma TVs didn't exist when I said that to my wife. Okay. Um, but I was thinking of, I want to watch every episode of $6 million man, bionic woman, star Trek, um, you know, SWAT, all my cowboy shows. I like, I just wanted to have a menu of them somewhere to access. That was the impetus of it. I never thought that we would be getting state of the art, um, gazillion dollar, Looking Star Wars TV shows like we did in the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian was a legitimate game changer. It's going to extend now to the Marvel shows. And you guys, we may not get movies further on down the line. Maybe they become ultra specialty items. But uh, a couple weeks ago, because I my my love of uh, Chris Nolan and my desire to see Tenant, I realized that the San Diego County, which is two hours from me, was was an, an a more advanced level of um, operations with its community and its businesses than we were in Orange County. And I um, joked with my wife about going to see it. And she said, well, go, let's do it. My wife, Ever the Gamer, we grabbed my daughter who's like, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, that Sunday, we the Saturday night, I bought our tickets to a 2.30 showing. We left at noon. We drove to San Diego. We were in a uh, giant 300-seated IMAX theater that could only have 20% capacity, we sat alone for every stretch of the, I mean, we were just on a sea of aloneness in these giant comfy chairs and we watched tenant and I loved it, And I loved it so much I loved watching a giant big scale blockbuster effects, the, the uh, brilliant vision of Chris Nolan carried out largely with maybe 30 other people in a 300 you know, s- s- seat you know, venue but that has not uh, driven people back. And, and, and even this weekend, now Weagle Cinemas, of which I have two of them within two miles, one in one mile in one direction and one in one mile in another direction, those theaters are now closing down. The theater experience is changing. That is beyond my pay grade. But I do believe that because of the pandemic, there are people who are never going to feel comfortable going back to theaters the way they are now. And um, whether it's it's spaces in between because Orange County opened back up. My son two weeks later said, dad, I'd like to see tenant. And why can't go not see tenant with my son when I already saw it with my, my wife and my daughter. So we grabbed our masks, we bought our tickets and we went to the IMAX in the Regal up the street that was built just one year ago, state of the art, brand new movie theater, brand new IMAX. Um, And it's, it's closing on Monday for, I don't know how long, but what's, what's, what's good for me and and this isn't good for the movie business but i'm just doing a podcast and I, I got no skin in the game my podcast is free okay so i literally have no skin in this game other than me um uh, hypothesizing on these things and and know that i watch all the streaming stuff i'm so you know this this spring uh, summer fall i have watched yellowstone i have watched um raised by wolves i have watched um the boys I, I I've I've watched um I mean I'm I'm blanking I we consume so much there's an Anna Kendrick HBO Max comedy I we we watched it um we, we've watched all the Jack Ryan shows on Amazon we 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 watched Palm Springs the movie on Hulu a million times because it's my favorite thing of any time in space now I, I love that movie please watch that movie uh Palm Springs on Hulu it's it's amazing. Um, we watch a lot uh, of, we consume, I'm drawing all day long, most of the time with the television going. So I'm pumping some entertainment in and and consuming it. And again, my mind is just blanking on all the other stuff. We're watching the vow, a documentary series on that, all those weirdos in that cult. And, uh, and so, so the bottom line is, like this is where we live now, and and, it, and, it, and I can't imagine, I can't believe the production values and the money that's being poured into these 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 uh, series that look better than most movies, like The Mandalorian, and and that's how things are going to continue to be in my if I had to, to bet, that's where it's all going: is streaming, 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 or sending these movies. Like I would buy James Bond. They have moved it again to April, put it out Friday, Saturday, Sunday say it's going to be $10 for Friday Saturday Sunday MGM tell people that for the first 3 days it's 10 bucks and then after that it's 15 bucks and then after that after maybe 2 weeks it's going to be 20 bucks you're going to get people who go crap I want to buy early I'm going to buy the $10 you're going to get your money back and then you're going to make your 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 profits off your latest James Bond but you've got to structure it in a way that you that people understand that the first weekend is the best possible price point, because what you want is eyeballs and people hitting the remote control and 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 charging their accounts, and we will do that. But offer it, incentivize us, make it cheap for the first three days. Um, don't ask me to buy Mulan for thirty dollars. I still haven't done that. That's a bridge too far for me at this moment. If it was a Black Widow movie, I'm I I, I guess I'd do it. I wouldn't be excited about doing it, but boy, you want more people buying than less. And more is better than less at a higher price. So make it, price it to move. And then tell people if you don't get it in these first three days, it's gonna, that Monday through Friday window, it's going to $15. And then shortly after that, it's gonna be $19.99. You will see people hit $9.99 for those first three days and buy your James Bond movie. This is just an idea. This is just how, this is me thinking out loud. Why is this podcast all about movies? Because without movies and without this fever driving them and everybody talking about the movies, the comic book industry has been selling comic books and the conversation is about comic books. And I've never seen so many people excited in the comic book industry about comic books and whether it's Marvel comic books or DC comic books, the Batman comic books, which are are always the standby, which are always the go-to at DC Comics, have been thriving, and they've got their top teams on them. And even though DC's kind of botched the delivery system and the distribution system, and I don't know why that is, and and and, and they've, they've laid a gazillion people off and those people are all actually going to start leaving their jobs here soon because they had an, uh, a period of where they got laid off and then, and the, but, but the actual jobs weren't ending till a certain point of time. I, I don't know if it's 90 days, 60 days notice that was given, but the comics are good. They're entertaining. Uh, people are excited about them. Uh, Marvel comics. The conversation is about comics. The conversation is about old comics. So many of my dealers are buying, are 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 selling Bronze Age comics, and they're selling, they're selling, uh, 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 90s comics, and and people just want their comic books. And again, the comic book industry is continuing to live to deliver its printed, published material to its stores, which I'm sure are struggling. I know online components are way up, but out. Outside the movies pushing things, which I never saw an example of the movies selling comic books. And I'll go to a specific. I was looking to invest and buy a store uh, the summer. Let's go the summer 2017 when Wonder Woman was out. Wonder Woman had been number one for three or four weeks, three weeks. And it was a Sunday at this comic store and I never go on a Sunday. And I noticed that the clerks there, uh, uh, there were two college girls and I had never interacted with them. And I decided to pick their brains and I asked them, oh, so is Wonder Woman, the movie, the blockbuster, billion dollar Gal Gadot, you know, uh, giant mega vehicle, which kind of really kind of stopped the bleeding in DC and gave them a new path. I said, is that selling comic books? And these two, they were hilarious. These two girls said, oh no, it hasn't sold us any more comic books. And then the one goes, but you want to know what it sells us? A lot of Wonder Woman stuff. And she pointed behind me, she goes, wonder woman, pops t-shirts, tiaras, pins, stickers, patches. She goes, we're selling a lot of wonder woman stuff, but we're not selling wonder woman comics. And man, I just look, they work the, they're the clerks on the weekend. Those girls only work Sunday. They are the dedicated Sunday girls. They get a lot of foot traffic on Sunday. The area that the comic store in is, is heavily, heavily trafficked on the weekends. It has a college right down the street. Um, they're like, oh no no no, we sell a lot of stuff. We sell a lot of Wonder Woman stuff. And again, there was an assortment wisely, um, right at the 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 um, you know right at the cash register, and then right behind me, a shelf of Wonder Woman stuff. And they said all that stuff moves. Oh my gosh, Mr. Liefel, we're selling so much stuff. But yeah, I can't say we're selling comics. So I haven't. That may be an isolated incident, but I haven't seen anybody go. Well, Avengers sold a billion, and and so I'm selling ten percent of that, which would be you know hundred million comics which we both know isn't happening. I mean, you're getting a 1% if, if you're selling, I mean, I don't even think you're getting a 1% echo off that. Uh, uh uh you know reverberation on on the on on these movies in the theaters. But do I think the action figures and and the towels in 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 the uh in the bathroom section of of you know of 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 Target or wherever the Beach Towels are, do I think you're buying a an Avengers um, t-shirt and a towel with more confidence because because your, your your kid wants to you know lay down on his avengers towel at the beach or whatever vacation you're going to um yeah i think that's 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 the benefit of these things but they're gone right now i don't know if there's coming back the fever has broke the fever has broke and uh the comic books are are really all that's left right now to discuss and enjoy and and that's why i'm here because you don't there really isn't There is no chicken and egg argument with these movies and comics. The comics came first without the comics. You don't get the rest. And again, I talked about the Joel Schumacher stuff earlier and that look, people have tried to retrofit blade. My friend made blade. He was the executive at new line who made blade blade was a vampire movie. They saw blade as a vampire movie with a cool vampire hunter that, that, that Wesley Snipes who was kicking ass as an action hero, you know um, who had had multiple action hits, you know, that that, that he wielded katanas and he was a vampire this idea and i've read it by people who are way too young to have experienced oh blade was the one that no blade did nothing blade did nothing in terms of getting other superhero movies greenlit it did nothing in moving the needle for superhero films it was a ridiculously successful vampire slash horror flick they still on the imdb Uh, have have listed listed in listed in the vampire horror flick and only recently whoever lobbied have have added the component of of uh of superhero onto the vampire horror genre so it fits into three genres on their list but blade was super successful it was kick-ass it was awesome everything about it it's a perfect movie from beginning to end great action great visuals tone acting script story all of it works great X-Men 2000 is what changed the conversation. Oh my gosh. A movie, a team movie with largely unknowns because as you remember Hugh Jackman was discovered in that movie and none of these other Famke Jensen was not a you know a big name and 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 outside of Star Trek Patrick Stewart was was not a go-to marquee name. I mean these Halle Berry was probably your biggest star, most recognizable. Um but X Men when it worked, and I think it made 150, 160 domestically in the summer of 2000, which is which is huge, which was a huge yield. And man, could they not get? They got you X Men two fast because they knew what they had. And X Men two was even more refined. You saw the extra money pumped into that movie, the bigger budget, the bigger scale. It's it's to me one of the best of the X Men movies. It's between that and X Men Days of Future Past for me. And uh, that's what started the then you know. Spider-Man wasn't even going until X-Men happened. Marvel got the rights to Spider-Man back, awarded to them by a judge from all the other parties uh, who were trying to to grab it. Canon Films and I think James Cameron. Everybody was trying to get a piece of Spider-Man and the judge rewarded it to Marvel out of bankruptcy. So Marvel got control of it again. And Sony was... The, the legend goes that they got out of the courtroom and there was a Sony guy there going, we'll give you $20 million a movie. You guys, in 2000, $20 million a movie guaranteed was phenomenal and Marvel could not have been more thrilled it was much more than the paltry I mean you guys there are some of the X-Men movies that Marvel just gets a million dollars on um that is how that contract went it was there was no profit sharing Fox made a deal when when Marvel wasn't good at making deals It benefited the studio. Sometimes they got a million bucks. That's why Marvel was then making money off the merchandising. And and, and later with Sony, they renegotiated the deal that Marvel would get all of the merchandising money from Sony for a much smaller yield of the movies. And Sony would get none of the merchandising, okay? These deals are crazy. And again, going back to Guardians of the Galaxy and that impact, and I never wrapped it up with Deadpool. The man who greenlit Deadpool... Jimmy Giannopoulos, he now runs Paramount Pictures. Everyone calls him Jimmy G. Jimmy G told me we were in line for a function. My wife, his wife, I was thanking him again for having the faith in Deadpool to finally put it forward after the previous management had stalled on making Deadpool for years. And Jimmy G, Jimmy G stepped up and said, Rob, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is why we move forward with with, with Deadpool. We had a conversation. Now, was it moving slow? It was, because it wasn't until the leaked footage that it cemented. But it kept it alive. They didn't throw it in the dumpster. Guardians of the Galaxy, he said right afterwards, they said, well, we have a script that's kind of like this, right? It's got music. That that Deadpool script was written in, in 2010. Rhett Reese, Paul Wernick, Ryan Reynolds imagined that brilliant, brilliant screenplay. Right after Wolverine Origins, right after when Fox decided we we we, we may have something here with a spinoff, and I was in those early meetings um, with the Donner Corporation. Um, Lauren truly Donner had called me up in the summer of 2009, August 2009, two months after, three months after Wolverine Origins, and said, "Okay, so we we got Deadpool wrong. Help us help us get it right." And we started having those conversations. I was happy to be part of those meetings those 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 conversations throughout, but it never got it going. They got the screenplay, they hired Warnick and 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 Reese off the brilliance of Zombieland, added Ryan, his input, shaped it, created it, and you had that amazing screenplay that they wrote in the summer, in in, in the fall of Turnitin in 2010. Well, so then Guardians gets made in 2014 and they believe, hey, don't we have a movie that's like this? It's funny. It's a little raunchy. It's got a great soundtrack. And Jimmy G said, "Maybe we can make this movie. Maybe there is a way to get this done." And then Simon, um, my, my 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 good buddy Simon from the X Men movies, came in and and he uh, he said, "Rob, we're gonna try and get this done. This is this is you know the the summer that um, that X Men: Days of Future Past was coming out. So so it's the beginning of 2014. He had confirmed like you know." Deadpool's not dead. I'm trying to get it going. I'm trying to get it going. Simon Kinberg was our champion throughout. And finally in the end of summer 2014, he had some really valuable uh, uh ammunition as far as 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 arguing for a green light with with what the Guardians of the Galaxy movie had done. The humor, the raunch, the comedy, the music. And so when by the time the footage gets leaked, uh in 2015, that would that just fast-tracked the entire the entire um, uh, uh, slate and 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 put the movie towards towards the 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 filming uh, in in uh, in in twenty fifteen. Yeah, you know what, guys? The leak does happen. The leak, the Deadpool leak, is in twenty fourteen, right? It, so so that's it. The Guardians of the Galaxy movie is in twenty fourteen. The Deadpool leak happens right after San Diego twenty fourteen, and we are shooting because I was I forgot I was on the set of I'm, I, oh man I can't believe it's been so long. I was on the set of Deadpool in in March of 2015 and it came out in 2016. So yes, that Guardians movie, the Guardians movie happening, Jimmy G says, and the leaked footage hand in hand showed them what what they could do because nobody had heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. Nobody heard of any of those movie characters. Um, They never knew there was a rocket raccoon or a Groot or any of that stuff. So it was like, wow, these unknown, never before heard of characters are raking it in. With some a dash of you know real director vision supplied by Mr. James Gunn, which Deadpool would then repeat and duplicate with Tim Miller and his flair, because he had been on the movie since 2011. That's when Tim called me and said, "Rob, I'm making a Deadpool film. Let's connect. Let's get together. Um, I want you to be a part of this." And and I think he got tired of me going up and watching that 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 footage for years and years and years until until you guys actually saw it via the leak, and then we got the legit thing, but comic book movies, they've been moving so much of the conversation. And now as we head into streaming where star Wars seems to be headed for its new destinations and and everything else following the, the, the Wandavision, the, the, the Falcon and the winter soldier, all this stuff. I mean, look, as much as I love the walking dead show and I loved it, I watched it religiously for like eight seasons, which is five seasons longer than I watch most shows. Um, and my son watched like continues to be like completely passionate about walking dead. I like the walking dead comics better. I do. I always have. I always will. I like a good comic book better than I like a movie. If you like Endgame and Infinity War, I think there are comic books of the Avengers that are better, but if you're not a comic book person, you're not going to not going to share that. I like the art. I like Count Nefaria in the 3-issue battle you know, battle to death with the Avengers where he's literally on the verge of killing them. I like Ultron where he's literally on the verge of killing them and you believe it and and he's transferring Wasp's consciousness into his robot bride. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I, love, I love the serpent crown affair. There are so many Avengers stories and comic books that I hold in higher regard than the movies, but the movies are great and they speak to an audience and they have transformed entire fan bases. Captain America didn't have this kind of fan base prior to maybe Winter Soldier, First Adventure, which got the boulder, you know, which got everything rolling, which got all, all, all the all the gears, you know, in motion. But, but now we live in this world where that has been shut off. I don't know when it's coming back. Hopefully soon. I love the theater experience. I've already shown you. I risked it with, with social distancing and 20% capacities to see Tenet twice in theater. I loved it. But But now theaters are closing and movies are getting kicked down the road. And I'm not sure they ever helped comic books. They just helped the profile of those characters to sell more toys at Target and beach towels and certainly clothes in the boys section uh, of, of Target and Walmart and, and, and so much merchandise. So much merchandise, which is great, which is great. I benefit off merchandise. So I like merchandise, don't get me wrong. And it I truly, it thrills me, it excites me. But we are in a weird place right now and it's interesting to see where we're gonna pivot from here. But comic books, a Walking Dead comic. Now there is no more Walking Dead comic because Robert Gene gen Robert Kirkman in a genius move ended that a year ago without you didn't see it coming, and and maybe now we miss it more because maybe maybe we took that comic book for granted. Okay, but I mean there's been like. 20 seasons of Walking Dead. If you take the regular show and the fear episodes, maybe 16, 17, it's, it's, it's a crazy number. It's, it's a crazy number and a, and a number of episodes. And my daughter literally turned to me last night when we saw an advertisement for the new young kids in the Walking Dead universe and said, how many are they going to make? I said, as many as they can, as many as they can, because they got a good thing and people love that stuff. But the comics are better. Seek them out, buy them, enjoy them find a fan find someone who would love having a collection of walking dead comics that they can peruse and realize for themselves that oh my gosh as much as i loved the pilot where rick grimes discovers that that he's in a zombie apocalypse "The, the, the comic book is even better and that's how it is most times with most things well i didn't get to anything in the 90s today but i'll tell you what's coming i'll paint a picture of what's coming um what's coming is um as I mentioned in a previous episode, I put an ad out for the executioners, my, my new independent title that I'm going to do and the CBG. And I got yelled at by Marvel and, and it just kind of was a, a good, a good forebear for, um, and a good precursor of everything that was to come that, that my time on X-Force and new mutants and with cable needed to come to an end because it had been so successful that, that, that I needed to take advantage of that window. Well, my taking advantage of that window would mean that the sample pages that I used to get hired at, in comics in the beginning with Mark Grunewald in 1987, Youngblood, my Youngblood eight-page sample story, I was going to now publish Youngblood as a comic, okay? And uh, it, it seemed to be the safer play. Executioners had kind of already gotten tarnished with the, by angering Marvel, and I was going to go forward and, and Eric Larson and Jim Valentino, we were all on board. We're doing it, okay? This is what we're going to be discussing in the next few episodes as we get together and make this image comic thing happen. Todd McFarlane, the, the hockey cards, they don't work. They don't, um, they don't they, they, the NHL doesn't approve them. And his dream of going into sports cards full-time is over. So now what's he going to do? He's a comic book guy. He's a big-time comic book guy. He's a superstar in the comic book field. So what's he going to do? Well, he decides that before he jumps on with his buddy Robbie, he's going to go down a path where he investigates whether doing Batman for DC is an option for him. And this was the curveball I didn't see coming and, and I would say that in every possible way, I deferred because again, I'm watching them as much as they're watching me and maybe maybe in the interim, maybe in the interim, I, I take a few months before I do my own independent thing. And, and I do something with DC along with Todd because Todd has also spoken to Jim and Jim is feeling that maybe his next move isn't an independent book, but his follow-up to X-Men would be Batman. And so an entire conversation is laid at the foot of DC Comics where, and you've heard where Todd says we're going to meet with DC Comics to say that we're leaving and doing our own thing. And that is a formal meeting done in person the week of the Sotheby's auction where the art for X-Force 1 and X-Men Number 1, Jim's X-Men original art and my X-Force original art, both sell in 1992 for $50,000 each, which is a lot, a lot of money for that time, groundbreaking prices in 1992. But we all gather, due to that Sotheby's auction, and, uh, and and it's in the city, we're all in Manhattan, that Todd goes, I don't go, with Jim and informs them, we are no longer going to be working with Marvel or DC, we're starting our own thing. That is not what I'm talking about. This happens almost nine months prior to that. That is in the winter. In the spring, summer, nine months earlier is when Todd decides, well, maybe I should investigate doing Batman. And Jim goes, well, I could do Batman in the hell if I'm doing Batman. If they're doing Batman, I'm not doing Batman because I don't need to be the third wheel Batman book and fighting against those two guys. Um, So I dis- I decided I would propose my own project to DC Comics. But what happens is, and what I'm painting the picture of and, and setting you up for in our next time together is DC, Paul Levitz at a table, had Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, and Jim Lee, Together, that's 8 million copies. That's 5 million copies. That's 3 million copies. Is that 16 million copies? Feels like it. 8 and 5. Are we at 13 plus 3? We're at 16, right? Okay. Six, the, the, the face of the biggest blockbusters is sitting down with Paul Levitz. And uh, I think we all know that he didn't pull the trigger. But I'm going to get more into that and, and the blunderous, big time, bonerific decision Paul Levitz made. That ended up creating Image Comics. This window of where Image Comics could not happen, and it might have gone in a completely different direction because Todd was not convinced that jumping in the boat with with little little brother little brother Robbie little Kobe um, that he was convinced that that wasn't maybe the method that he wanted to um, explore. He wanted to maybe do something that was more surefire, more guaranteed. And Paul Levitz said no. I'm going to tell you why we're going to explain that in the next episode of Rob observations. Love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with me on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld with the blue check that differentiates me from the phonies. Okay. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld with the blue check. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Instagram. Love being with you guys. Love hanging with you guys. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And we will talk again soon.